sure. And I, I feel like to some extent doing other things and, and doing stuff outside of PT makes you more human, which in effect makes you a better PT. Yeah. Yeah. Just get a little better if you can every once in a while. It'll be all right. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Abstract, an online student-led PT journal club. If you're not familiar with us, we're a group of PT students that discuss scientific literature, training, and all things physical therapy. Thank you again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the discussion. But uh, I've, been, I've been on such a weird YouTube kick of um i think the youtube channel is called like crime scene psychology or criminal psychology one of those terms and what they do is they break down like interrogation videos and like different certain serial killer type things and it's so fascinating so i've just been hearing that a lot that anything you say well can you whatever used against you because that's you know part of the interrogation but Oh my gosh, if you want to fall down a YouTube rabbit hole, I'll send you guys the, 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 whatever the name of the YouTube channel is, because it is so fascinating for whatever reason. How did you end up there? It's just, you know how like, the YouTube algorithm would just suggest something and oh. it had like a bajillion views or 13 million views. And I think it was, um, remember in two that this is such we don't have to you don't have to have this in the recording it's such a gloomy doomy note but it was like in 20 what was that 20 2009 2008 remember casey anthony what when i don't know what year that was but it was you remember her yeah and i think it was the title was like there's something about casey and they just broke down her case and the all the interrogation footage and you know the footage from her talking to her parents in the jail cell and it's the, the guy has this like super the narrator has this like really dry humor and it's they're like 40 minutes long to an hour so it's like super in-depth uh and it's just so interesting uh yeah so it just popped up i've been hearing so much about like true crime lately so there's this like weird synchronicity going on with true crime and just like the psychology of serial killers and stuff like that. So I guess you're uh, you're falling right into that, Jonathan. I guess so. Yeah. What's true crime? Crime? Maybe that's what I'm watching. What is that? Um, so my understanding is it's just stories that obviously actually happened, and it breaks down like the plot of um, some sort of a crime scene, but kind of weaves it more into a uh, a narrative, I suppose. Is it a show? No, it's, I think it's considered a genre. So there's true crime podcasts, there's true crime shows um, on Netflix, for example. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, sim- it's gotta be around the similar lines. It must be. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned YouTube rabbit hole because last week, I think I spent a good four or five days just consecutively watching different bonsai tree trimming videos. I don't know why. I just I found those really, why really. Why you talking about getting one of those, right? Say again. Why aren't you talking about getting one of those months ago? Yeah, I mean it. I don't know how serious I've been about it, but I've mentioned it a couple times, and for whatever reason, I guess someone on the YouTube algorithm was listening, and they popped up a couple of videos, and you know, a couple of clicks later, it went from Monday to Wednesday, and I was just watching on how to how to trim and upkeep and take care of bonsai trees. That's hilarious, man. Oh my gosh, YouTube is so funny like that. You can really just get started on some obscure topic or whatever it is and you're just compelled, you're pulled yeah. right in. And now I'm like very, very close to buying one because I really want one. <laughs> Those are the miniature, like gigantic looking trees, right? Yeah, so uh, allegedly you can you can take like a normal tree sapling i guess or like a baby tree and you can grow it into a bonsai yeah but it's a lifelong art project is what i can surmise from it you're so lame I, I, i can't help it it's so cool no i'm just kidding i would i would i'm right there with you to be honest with you now i'm gonna look it up and probably purchase one if they're not too expensive <laughs>
Hopefully Abigail's down with the bonsai tree in the dining room there. That's right. Cool. I went to like this Asian market yesterday and there was like this bonsai tree starter kit. So it's pretty funny. <laughs> starter yeah. kit? So like after yeah. 20 years, you get something of substance or what? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, do you literally start it from seed and like that's what I was gonna say. to get to the point it looks like? Uh, like the what you see in the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. But those, like, some of those trees are, you know, several hundreds of years old. That's one of the ones that they have at the uh, at these different nurseries. I didn't realize that, but um, yeah, just miniature trees or something really appealing about that. And the, do that in like a koi fish, and I feel like we're on to something. Or that's a vibe: bonsai trees and koi fish, maybe. Yeah, or just make a miniature Japanese garden. That's a whole other yeah. genre of art, I guess. Mm. Well, you know what I'd really like? Or what, you know the Japanese maple trees? Those are really nice. They're, they're smaller. Um, a lot of people in the fan have them like in their front yards. They're not huge, but they're, they're kind of, they almost like have like a bonsai tree vibe in a weird way because they're smaller. I mean, they're much bigger than I think what you're talking about, but they're really pretty. Yeah, I'd probably have to see, see one to actually recognize it. I, I don't know it by the name, but you said they're all over the fan? A lot of people seem to have them. Yeah, okay. Japanese maple. And I think, like at Maymont, they have them. Like then their Japanese garden area. I'm pretty sure they've got tons of. Different uh, okay. Okay. <clears throat> Very cool. But this is supposed to be a conversation about physical therapy. Yeah, but I mean, trees are therapeutic, are they not? They can be. Anyhow, um, actually, on that topic, a first of all, a big congratulations to all of us, I suppose, because we're officially done. Got the fancy piece of paper and we're, I don't know, where are we at right now? Jonathan, we'll, we'll start with you. What, where are you now that school's done and what are you doing at the moment? Well, I took a job at my last clinical placement, which is an inpatient rehab hospital. Um, when I was there, like just loved it was my first inpatient experience. And I figured if I'm, I'm probably not gonna be able to get, or at least in, this is what I was thinking, that it would be difficult to get back into inpatient if I went out the outpatient route, just to kind of, I don't know, they seem like such different worlds. And I know they're somewhat competitive in terms of the experience you need. So I just pursued it. And really, I got lucky getting the position, to be honest with you because one of their recent new grads that was working there, just, just they, they're relocating because her husband took a job in, um, in the, on the West Coast. So they just called me up. I mean, I had expressed my interest, but they had filled a recent position. But, you know, with that happening, they gave me a call and were like, hey, do you still interested in working here? And I said, absolutely. And it was just set up. So it was really, really just, I, I fell into it. And I was really, I'm really grateful. I'm enjoying it a lot. So that's where I'm at. Um, week two in. Week, well, I guess one and a half weeks because Memorial Day, but week and some change. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's really cool. How are you liking it compared to, to outpatient? It's, it is just, it's so different. I mean, it's the same, but it's also so different in like the, at least in the atmosphere that I was in for my outpatient clinicals because a lot of my outpatient clinicals were there might have been one two tops or maybe I think the, the, I worked at a or sorry I had a clinical at an outpatient clinic that had three therapists but that was the most so not to say there wasn't a team atmosphere but most of my clinical placements in outpatient were you know there was one primary therapist working in the facility three yeah three of my clinicals were there was only one therapist so I, I just, I really like the inpatient rehab hospital, the team atmosphere of it, or like the, the, yeah, the team atmosphere of it, because you're just, you're constantly communicating with nursing, case management, physicians, OT, speech therapy. It's like, it's just a big, almost like environment. It's just different in that sense. You're just immersed in all of these different other professions and being able to communicate with them. It's just really neat. So I like that about it a lot. Um, 
And then obviously it's, it's, I don't know, I guess the culture of it, it's easier to, like, I feel like practice in an evidence-based way, just because the, the, you have to be so task specific with your therapy, you know, because you're just trying to get them home and safe. And so it even, it's just, it biases towards that, which makes things kind of, that's one reason I like it. So two, or yeah, two reasons, but yeah. Jonathan, do you feel like you said you have to be very task specific and very um, evidence-based? Do you feel like part of that is facilitated by the shorter duration of stays? You really have to have a strong impact uh, before your patient leaves? Yeah, I think, I think so. I thought about that sometimes. I think about that sometimes because a lot, a lot, often I'll have patients who have chronic pain and it's easy to not address it in the same way in that setting than it would be in an outpatient setting where that may be their primary goal. I mean, a lot of patients still identify like I want to do X without pain. They still identify that as their goal, but it's just so easy to reframe to by talking to them and asking open-ended questions to reframe it to what they need to do to leave this place and, and, and be safe and, and ultimately go home if that's their goal. So I think it's, yeah, yeah. I think it's e just easier to do it to kind of avoid some of the stuff that you might have to tackle face on and outpatient that are more difficult. That makes sense. From a, yeah, from a, from a, I don't know, psychosocial perspective or just from a, an area of literature that's hard to understand and just maybe not the, we don't have the full picture on, you know, so enough about me. Yeah, John, where, where are you located right now? What, what are you doing now that you're done with school? So I took a job um, in Wilsonville, Oregon. It's a travel contract. I wanted to um, try a couple of things before I really settled down into one clinical setting or one area. Um, so that's been a great experience so far. It's um, certainly more, you know, along the lines of traditional outpatient experience um, like we've all had in our rotations, but it's been kind of a nice place for me because right now I'm actually the only therapist as I was telling Sean. And so that's come with its own challenges of learning um, to manage the, the systems that this particular company uses. Uh, but at the same time, it allows me some flexibility with how I would like to um, progress my treatment philosophy, I suppose. And uh, my boss at this clinic has been super awesome with kind of giving me some general pointers um, that has helped her in her career, but also allowing me to form my own uh, style, I suppose, as a therapist. So it's been a pretty cool spot. I'm actually living in Portland um, at the moment, you know, which is about half an hour away from Wilsonville. So it's it's um, it's a nice place to see, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of different things in the area, and just the Wilsonville area has been, um, you know, there's been a good mix of a. Um, the, the typical chronic pain population with some student athletes, with some um, some more patients, you know, um, there's been a few with some neurological injuries, but for the most part, it's been kind of that chronic pain and uh, student athletes so far. But it's been a good spot. I feel like my biggest takeaway from that um, is just all the things that I didn't think about in school that are very important in the sense of managing your patient caseload, I suppose, and um, managing the day-to-day -day and the week-to-week -week progression of not only the plan of care, but thinking about things like discharge and um, uh, authorizations for different insurances and kind of being able to have the most impact in the time that you have, right? And being able to anticipate uh, what you're working with as much as possible so that you can make sure any of your interventions are targeted towards that particular patient situation, not only their condition that they're coming in for, but also their uh, insurance um, approvals and potentially the other surgeries you might have to, to take in consideration. So I feel like that was something that I did not um, understand in depth as a student. And it's uh, definitely opened my eyes to that, those aspects of care a little bit more. So it's been a good place to learn some of those things that I didn't pay attention to perhaps in school or maybe we weren't ex exposed to. 
simply because it's hard to see that as a student, you know? Definitely. Do you find yourself, um, like for, for, for me, when I was a student, there's like, there's a finite time you're there, whether it be four weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks or something like that. So to what you said about thinking about discharge and discharge planning, do you, have you found yourself in a situation where, or situations where people like you, you don't have a clear end goal or have you had to like modify how you make outcome measures or make sound goals so that you can kind of have a clear finish line with patients. Cause I know sometimes it, it is hard to kind of tie the loop on in outpatient where like you're done with physical therapy now, you know, have you had to adjust in that way at all or how's that been? Yeah, for sure. So in particular, I can think of a couple of patients who um, the therapist prior to me uh, was working with. And so I came in kind of at the, at the midpoint or tail end of their therapy. So I've only been at this job for three weeks. Um, so still um, working with some patients who've had a longer term plan of care with the prior therapist. And there's been a few who um, are getting to the point where they've seen some improvement with PT, but let's say they're plateauing or um, they really don't have an idea of where they would like to get to. And it's certainly been a, a challenge to kind of navigate that and make sure, be able to have that conversation with the patient about, you know, what is your, what are your goals with therapy? What are you getting out of therapy? And perhaps if they want to continue on and they're really not making a lot of progress or they're, let's say they're not continuing with their home exercises or, or what have you, um, kind of digging down and understanding number one, why do they want to continue with PT? Um, and number two, what is it that's causing this lack of progress? Just all of those questions, I suppose. Um, I've had to navigate that a little bit more. And um, I feel like for the most part, it's been, it's been something that's not too difficult if you're able to kind of convey, convey the message that look, I want to make sure that you're as independent as possible. We want to make sure that we're not just burning through your authorized visits, that we're not just, um, you know, milking this out as long as we can. If you have to have, let's say we have, so um, for example, there's a patient with um, a lot of pain in her ankle and foot, and we weren't sure um, entirely what was going on and if she, you know, needed um, other things besides therapy. So um, ended up working on a discharge for her and then she got some more imaging and there was, um, like a, a, a fracture that wasn't healing fully. So we had to kind of get that taken care of and just being able to have the conversation with her that, look, um, you know, if you want to, I, I want to keep providing you value and continue helping you with your condition. However, um, let's say that you had to have surgery, then we want to make sure that you're able to come back to PT afterwards for those, for that rehab that you might need after surgery. And what I want to just be continuing to um, keep seeing you here for this, you know, these little nagging pains that um, you could probably manage by yourself at home. So I'm not sure if that entirely answers your question, but that's uh, an example that came to mind. Yeah, I was just curious how you've been navigating it in general, just kind of being autonomous and being able to make just different decisions as a the, the clinician, you know, how you're managing all of that. So it's actually been pretty good. I was I was a little bit unsure at first, like how I was going to be stepping into that role, particularly with being the only therapist at this particular clinic. I was like, dang, like I'm having to make all the decisions myself, you know. <laughs> and at first, it's a little bit scary, but at the same time, it makes you really focus on the basics, like thinking about, look, is this patient getting to where they need to be? Are they doing, you know, really not overthinking it, right? Figuring out what their limitations are, figuring out whatever it is that they're that they're trying to get back to, figuring out what other health conditions they have going on and, and making your decisions based off of that without overthinking it. I feel like that was the biggest thing as a student. And I was, as I was like, I don't know, you, you kind of, even though I, I tried to maintain the mindset during school that um, we're learning a particular skill set and a particular um, scientific basis so that we can make our own independent decisions, I still sometimes got stuck in these thought loops of you have to check out like, I don't know, all these different things or you have to approach it in such a regimented way, perhaps. Um, and it's much more free flowing, I feel like in the clinic, it's much more kind of principle based in the sense that you want to see, like I said, what, um, what particular activities does the patient want to get back to? What are they limited with currently in terms of strength, range of motion, what have you? And being able to really just focus on those key points, um, I think is 
a big part of being able to make those decisions appropriately and quickly in a way that yeah. you are. I, re I relate to that now being kind of out from school is in off of your point. It's like, you don't have to think about also what your CI is going to think about a decision you're making. You know, you just you're doing it based on intuition. Like you're saying, it's kind of a free flowing thing and you're based, you're just make, you know, you're making these decisions as they come without having to think in your mind, maybe like, well, what is my CI going to think? Am I doing the right thing? You just kind of learning by doing. And yeah, I, I relate to that right now a whole lot. That's cool. For sure. Does Oregon have direct access? They do. Yeah. Um, How has that been? So I'm trying to think. I don't think we've had any patients who have been direct access so far. Um, maybe a couple of folks that I've seen that were on the tail end of their treatment from uh, the, the previous therapist, but so far it hasn't been anything that's been difficult to navigate from like a approval standpoint or anything like that. Um, I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks and let you know. <laughs> Sean, you're up. What you been up to, buddy? Oh man. Um, I've been, I've just been hanging out. I haven't really been doing much. Um, my... So I graduated at the same time as John in May and I elected to not take my boards early because I was lazy and I didn't feel like studying for them to take them in April. And I also, the, the last clinical rotation placement that I was at was really, really good. And I didn't want to sort of divert time away from the time that I would have with patients by studying. And I wanted to focus all my effort on that last rotation because of the three that we had in our program, I think that was probably the best one. So um, I am pretty much not doing a whole lot up until July 30th is what that's when I take boards and hopefully pass and get my license. So. Well, okay. I'll, don't, don't let me speak for you, but you got a new certification Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's... Yes. I mean, you come on, fill the people in. People are listening. People want to no, know. No, I got a couple more letters behind my name. Um, so I, I did go and get my CSCS after I graduated just to, to have that cert on board. And I picked up a job at a commercial gym training and coaching, and I'm still doing online coaching for powerlifting and weightlifting. So I've been keeping myself busy. I'm just not, you know, working in a clinic at the moment. How's your client client base been at the gym? I've been curious about that. It's actually been really cool. Um, I've got a good mix of folks right now. Um, I, I told you guys the other day, I'm, I'm working right now with a 15 year old high school girl who just wants to learn how to do stuff in the gym. So taught her how to squat, bench and deadlift. And she's been super excited about that. And she seems really, really excited to continue working out and continue going to the gym. So I'm hoping I can keep her on for more than the three sessions that she bought. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And picked up another guy the other day who is he's in his sixties and he's got a in his mind I think it's a whole host of comorbidities but I mean you know he's got like he said he tore his rotator cuff back in the day and he's got OA in both of his knees that's what he told me at least yeah. um, and you know he had obviously everyone got hit by COVID so he's been chilling for the last year and he just wants to kind of build up his strength again and lose a little bit of body fat and get some lean mass on. So again, we've been squatting and benching and deadlifting and it's been good. It's been really good. Are there different challenges aside from the clinic? Is it like, is it easier? Cause people like, I just, you know, people are coming to you wanting to train and like, that's what we're usually trying to get people to do. Or at least we have a bias to do that sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, is that different at all? Um, so I, I joke with clients when I work with them that it's, it's always easier to work with folks who are quote unquote healthy. Um, but the way the gym set up is it is a little bit more challenging I've found because I don't go out and seek my own clients. They're given to me and then I don't do the intake. So the fitness director at the gym yeah. does the interview and does the intake and kind of does the evaluation for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, that's been one of the challenges I've found with working at this gym because I'm so used to getting, gathering all the information myself and getting yeah. all the pertinent uh, data and info that I need from them. Um, whereas now, you know, I'm given a piece of paper with all their information on it. Well, not all of it, but whatever the information the person interviewing them thinks is important to write down. And then I'm expected to make, 
you know, a, a 12 to 15 week plan based off of that. And I'm supposed to start when they want to start. And that, that's been a challenge because, you know, finding time to, to get more information if I need it or to kind of get to know them without having had an initial interview does make, you know, it, it can be a little bit tough. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that would, that seems like a significant limitation, but all right, like you said, you're kind of maybe able to ask him that stuff as you go. Yeah. I've, I've definitely been able to do that. Um, it, there's been a lot of education I've found too with working with clients. Um, it, it made me think this gym is very, very, very invested in the FMS and like movement screens. Sure. And they love to, to promote this idea of, of, increasing mobility and increasing your ability to do all these functional tasks before you start exercising. And that's been, I won't say a challenge, but definitely a speed bump in some instances. But I think once I flex my credentials a little bit and kind of talk to them like, Hey, you know, this really isn't something we need to worry about. We should just exercise. I think most people get on board, but I found that to be frustrating at times, particularly with some of the other staff members, because I see, like the FMS and just general movement screens um, is kind of like another barrier to activity when these folks, you know, they're on the cusp of wanting to be more active and exercise more often. So I, the last thing I want to do is throw one more thing in front of them that tells them that they can't. Yeah. yeah. But, have you, have you struggled with that at all with clients, Sean? I know you're like, you're saying with the, um, the other trainers and whatnot, but like just have clients come in with kind of those expectations or they've been pretty receptive to just, um, learning the movements and just training essentially that's a good question i i I debate with different clients whether or not to bring it up i guess so in some instances with some of the clients i've had on the paper you know it's been bolded or underlined um you know work on x y and z mobility because they're super stiff here and there that's that's what's given to me from the person who interviews these clients um on the first day, I usually won't bring it up and just I'll, we'll work through some stuff and just see how they do. Um, if they bring it up and we need to have that conversation, we'll have the conversation, but I try not to frame it as their mobility is, is limiting their ability to do X, Y, and Z. I more just, you know, take them through movements and provide them with variations if they can't do the goal movement at the end of the day. And we just kind of progress through it and work through it to the best of their ability. And, and so far it's been, I haven't had any pushback about FMS scores or, you know, limited mobility here or there, whatever, you know? Right. Nice. That's cool. Do you feel like you get more, um, I guess, aside from, you know, since you're not in the clinic setting, just more uh, ability to kind of direct it towards, I guess, just what you enjoy and rather than focusing so much on the pain aspect, you know, just really getting into, um, you know, strength training and just function, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely have a lot more equipment than, than most of the outpatient clinics I've been in, which is super nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I still think sometimes the goals for a lot of these clients when they come in are still ambiguous. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I don't want to discount what, what I would do in clinic either. But even, even if someone was coming in with, with chronic pain, I don't know if I would focus on the pain so much as, you know, whatever specific activity limitations that they have. And I, I think that kind of transfers over into the, the personal training world. Like if folks want to get stronger, there's obviously activities that are at least somewhat limited. Otherwise, they wouldn't want to get stronger. So I don't really think the, the perspective changes all that much. It's just one less thing to worry about, I suppose, with, with pain being out of the mix. That's what I was going to say. I feel like there's definitely quite a lot of overlap. I've never um, trained professionally, you know, but I feel like that's uh, definitely a lot of overlap with just the general goals, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's nice to be able to, to kind of create my own schedule and, and like you were talking about earlier, just direct the, the sessions, the way that I want them to go or the way that I feel that, that they should go. So that's been nice. I think it's going to be a, a culture shock once I get back into clinic. Hopefully it isn't too big of a slap across the face, but we'll, we'll see when I get there. Speaking of schedules, what, uh, like what kind of schedule are you guys working out of curiosity? I, I, I'm just curious kind of how the, how lifestyle has been student versus grad for you guys. Yeah. John, do you want to start? Sure. 
So my schedule's been a little weird because the past two weeks, you know, we had Memorial Day. We had um, the first week I had like an onboarding day where I was not treating patients. Um, so it's been different than I suppose it will be consistently. Um, I'm supposed to be like working two tens and then like a couple shorter days and then like one eight essentially. So it varies for sure. Um, like Mondays and Thursdays are my long days. Tuesdays a short day. Wednesday is kind of medium, and then Friday is kind of medium. Well, that's um, interesting. What's like what's a short day mean? So like Tuesday, I'm only supposed to be in there from like 8 a.m. until 12 p.m. or oh. 1 p.m. maybe something like that. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes Monday to Thursday, I can be in there from like I said 8 to 7 or something like that. I actually kind of screwed up my schedule at first because I didn't quite get how the scheduling system had worked when I'm blocking putting patients in blocks, right? And I scheduled somebody for like the 7 a.m. On, on a Friday. And I'm like, oh, shit, like this is like for the next six weeks. And I'm like, I'm literally making myself get up at 7 a.m. on Fridays. You can't ask him to change? Yeah, well, I did end up like um, asking if we could kind of, you know, restructure that a little bit in the future session. So we do. I think it's only two more weeks now that I have to do that for 7 a.m. But I actually um, had yesterday I was you know, running a little bit late and getting ready and everything. And I was rushing to get there. I get there at 7 a.m. And I check the messages in the morning and I get a message. Hey, John, I can't make it to my appointment um, at 7 a.m. tomorrow. And it was like, like left at like 9 p.m. Like on the Thursday before. And so I was like, oh, dang, like uh, I didn't even have to rush to get here. But it's OK. Uh, That's that interesting the one that you have some variety in your schedule, though. Yeah, so honestly, I preferred, so Jonathan, I had a rotation in inpatient setting um, last, for my last rotation as well. I honestly preferred just that consistency with it because, I don't know, it's nice to have the short day sometimes here an outpatient, but it can be so variable as far as like, um, particularly with, with all the paperwork I'm having to do as far as just, you know, the stuff they need for the insurance authorizations yeah. um, sometimes i'll be there a little bit later i'll be there you know i'll come in a little bit earlier i probably am stressing it too much stressing it a little bit more than i need to be um and just because it's my first job i'm just trying to make sure that i'm doing you know doing everything appropriately but um yeah i've been there a little bit later than i need to be so it's been a little bit difficult to find that balance for me i did like when i was in an inpatient setting and it was like so consistent it was you know your um i think it was like eight to eight to four or something like that eight to three thirty uh for me last time you know i was at the hospital i was at so that was pretty sweet because i could plan everything a little bit easier um and right here of course i'm having a little bit of a drive so that also makes the, the work-life balance a little more difficult i feel like the one thing that is not as stressful to me as when i was a student obviously is just the impending deadlines and things because even with the um you know, even with some of the things that you have to like plan out for the next week, like let's say you have to, I don't know, get more authorizations or talk to a patient about something specific or like, you know, research something or look up some interventions or whatever. I still feel like, I don't know, it's, it's enjoyable to me and not that school was not enjoyable at all, but I feel like maybe I pressured myself too much with like deadlines and things. And so I feel less stressed about that aspect of it and still, and I'm still able to like enjoy my weekends hear more uh, than I was when I was a student, I feel like, so, yeah. Yeah. And another thing that comes to mind about like the travel contract that seems appealing is how, how long does it go to? How many weeks is it? So this one is 13 weeks, um, unless they want to extend it, which um, I'm not quite sure yet what I want to do with, with, in, in that regard. It sounds like there's a possibility they could extend it because they've been having trouble staffing some of these clinics yeah. lately um but it's up to you at the, in the long run right it is yeah so i wouldn't have to sign the extension if i don't want to yeah. uh, but typically they're all 13 weeks unless you're like looking for a school setting or something which is usually the whole school year that you yeah. have a travel contract for um i like the 13 weeks because it's kind of like the whole clinical rotation setup it's um obviously it's shorter than you might uh want in some ways you know because you're getting used to things for the first couple of weeks and then you're kind of settling into your flow with it but at the same time, I feel like it gives me a nice, um, a nice snippet of each, you know, area and, and, and clinic. So, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, in my head. I'm like, well, there's an end. Like you found yourself in a really crappy situation. Like, you know, it's going to be over X amount of weeks. So 
Exactly. Yeah. So that's definitely a nice aspect of it. And you're getting paid versus a clinical rotation, zero dollars. So that's, that's always a good thing. Yeah. It's weird actually having a steady income income stream. I'm like, dang. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't it? It's weird. It's weird for me too. Cause I still feel like, I feel like a student still when I'm at the hospital. Just because it's all the same people that I was with, and like, it's not that I feel like I'm being viewed as a student because I'm not. But in my head, I kind of feel that way sometimes. Because <laughs> you were a student there before, though, right? So you probably kind of carried that over a little bit, right? Because it's the same same hospital. Yeah, it's the same. I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, the weirdest thing for me was like getting dental insurance <laughs> because I was like, uh, I was like, <laughs> of all of all the benefits, dental. Yeah, it's, I can I can actually get my teeth checked out without having to try to find like free clinics and shit. You know, I didn't notice your smile right now. It's a little bit brighter today. Thank you, Jonathan. Your smile is lovely as well. Thanks, buddy. I'm just looking at our notes here. Sean had reflections on PT school. Do we want to talk about that? Yeah, we can we can chat about PT school a little bit. Does does everybody have like a or a fondest memory or like a yeah, without repeating myself, but a fondest memory? <laughs> I was thinking about that and I, I don't think I have a particular memory, but one thing that stood out to me is more just the feeling, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this of when we first started and it just being, you know, you got your badge, it says PT on there. And like, you're in, you're like, you've realized a goal because to get to that point was, there's a lot of work, you know, GREs and undergrad taking classes and just kind of stressing about whatever GPA or just, but then like you're in this position that you've wanted to be in for so long. And I just remember kind of just that, that feeling of the first few weeks that, or even just that first year, rather, not to say it faded. I mean, it definitely just became more of like who we are, like more PT students. And you kind of start to more identify as just a physical therapist or whatever. But that first bit where you're almost, you're just in a place that you've wanted to be for so long. And there's a feeling there that I can't really describe, but that was cool to me. I'm sure you guys can relate to that. So that, that came to mind when I was thinking about it. Yeah, that's really cool. That um, kind of sense of I've wanted this forever, and um, it's exciting now to be here in that transitionary stage to uh, you know something you thought about a long time. Yeah, that's cool. And then it fades. I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. It does fade because, like I said, it just becomes a more of like a what you do thing, and just different sets of thoughts and not problems, but just. You know, you know what I'm saying? Different things come about and there's not the, it's not, there's not as much of a fascination with just being in a doctoral program or whatever. It's just, it is what it is. And you just kind of, you know, okay. And you're just more focused on, I guess, real things rather than the titles and the position that you're in or whatnot. Yeah. I feel like it's the same thing when you finish up as well. Like when you actually get the title of, of doctor, you get your doctorate and you know, it's a, it's a nice moment when it happens with them, you know, once that moment passes, you kind of realize, okay, now there's, there's actual work to do and they got to put this to use. Right. Yeah. What, I mean, that, what about any fond memories in particular though, from, for you guys, I didn't really pick one out, but. You know, I was thinking about that. Um, I remember Sean and I had like this practical coming up and we were studying for, and we were just like goofing around and like, you remember that shot on the walkers we were trying to do like handstands and stuff and we were uh we're trying these different like squat variations and stuff yeah so just, i tried to do a handstand on the fucking did. walker and i fell and busted my head on the floor you did yeah i think you busted your elbow too right yeah actually elbow? i think my elbow hurt more worse than my head which i don't know if that says anything but you know cast your judgments <laughs> that's that an incident report right there what's that i'm just thinking incident report right there man yeah yeah 
I just had a lot of fun nights too, just like, you know, going to the school gym afterwards and just, you know, late night studying for stuff. Weirdly enough, like you don't think about that. You're like, yeah, I'm, uh, I hate studying. I hate doing these things, but you do think back fondly on those things afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I have to to echo that. Like, there is something weird about not having stuff to to stress about or having stuff to to study for. But um, I think for me, I've got a a couple. Um, Definitely one of the one of the more prominent ones was going down to UVA to present. That was definitely cool. Got really lucky with that opportunity to do that. But um, I would I would definitely talk for a lot less time. I think I overstayed my welcome there a little bit too well, long. Elaborate on that. More. That was the uh, when when Connor asked me to go down and present on injury risk reduction for for barbell sport athletes. Um, that was a, that was a good time. I was I don't know why he asked me, but you know I'm very grateful that he did, and I thought it was a, a really excellent opportunity. Um, and I think having the opportunity also to, to go up to Boston, to Boston PT wellness was pretty crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know how that materialized or how I got that opportunity. And I mean, I mean, I, I never thought that I would get to see Mike Amato and all those other guys actually practice and see how they work with patients. But, you know, I, I got that opportunity and, you know, even if it was just for a couple of days, it, I still learned a lot. Um, especially at, at regarding those clinicians as people, not just clinicians, like you get to have conversations with them outside of a clinical setting and you realize that, you know, they're human and they, they have faults, but they've also got uh, really great qualities. And I think at the end of the day, they're all just trying to be a little bit more empathetic and be a little bit more human. And I think that's, that's admirable in the way that they go about doing that. But I think the thing that takes the cake is when we, uh, John, it was you and I, when we sat outside the elevators and called Jonathan up and tried to review that stretching paper or an extensibility paper, I should say. I think that's got to take the cake is the the best one. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the first time we ever recorded or something? No, I think that was the first time that um, all three of us were on the same call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now I remember where I was. Where were you? But it, it, it was my parents' old house. They moved, but just in their like family room area on this desk. And I, I just remember, yeah, I just remember it. Yeah. Yeah. We were, I think John, you were probably squatting next to that table. We were just crowded around that glass table going over the paper. Yes. And the, the idea clicked. I was like, we could, we could record this and make other people listen to it. We should do that. Yeah, I remember you know that. what? Dang, that's, that's one of my fond memories too. Just the, just this first, those first conversations like when we were getting that rolling and it felt good to have that just for people to talk to about that stuff. Cause like, I, I would be rough to have gone through that solo. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have even tried to read as much or learn as much, you know? So yeah, those were good. That is a good memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. We tried to do like the first chat, like on, I remember it was like, it was like a three-way phone call, wasn't it? And like, I just remember, see, this is what sticks in my head a lot is, is my Android's failures as a phone. Uh, and I think we ran into one of those with the first phone call that we did because we were trying to do like a three-way call and like my phone was like spazzing out on me or something. Yeah, so, I think, didn't we try to start with Skype after that? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did. Skype yeah. was garbage. <laughs> yeah. And we were posting through YouTube and not editing anything. It was great. It was awesome. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, yeah, it's it's gotten so much better. We have in the, in the audience, it's it's linear, really, and our production value has gone up, and our audience has just boomed. Yeah, there's a, a strong correlation with uh, final product quality and number of listeners. I think. Yeah, yeah, but um, uh, having graduated now, is there like a a biggest lesson that you would take from PT school? Take us away, Jonathan. No, no, I, I don't have a great answer, but I'm I'm curious what you guys have to think and or say. Maybe I'll it'll spark something. I can start, John, if you don't have anything yet. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I would say, and this is a reoccurring theme with pretty much every episode, but um, being comfortable with uncertainty for one, learning how to how to navigate uncertainty. But I think what's come with that is also being humble 
and expressing humility. Um, because there have been many times where through PT school, I thought I knew the answer. And then two or three papers later, I realized I had no idea what I was talking about. So that kind of forced me to be a little bit more humble. But I think above all else, and this came particularly with uh, doing clinical rotations and specifically this last clinical rotation is just learning to be a little bit more human and being more empathetic with people um, and trying to intertwine uh, that empathy with, with the research and, and the things that patients value and just trying to be a good person before you're a good clinician, I guess. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's beautiful, truthfully. I was kind of, I was kind of reflecting on something like that about just, um, you know, having not had PT myself and just not seeing it from the other side and just thinking, you know, when you're going in for some type of a service like that and just like you're saying, Sean, you know, connecting with somebody on a human level. I went for actually, I went for my haircut, right? This is the first time I got my hair cut professionally. And I went in and it was so weird sometimes thinking about like being, it's, it's almost like on the opposite end, right? This is gonna sound weird, but it's like being a patient and being like a, a client for a hairdresser's or a barber <laughs> or whatever. It's very similar probably because you go in and you, you have something that you're wanting that you're having uh, uh, trouble with, let's say, uh, let's say a, a messy haircut, right? And trying to communicate exactly what you're wanting and needing to the uh, to the barber in this case or to the therapist in the other case can be a challenge sometimes because you're like, well, they know what they're doing. They know uh, things, you know, they've done this a lot, but also you kind of uh, have these things that you're wanting to bring up and just finding a way to actually bring them up. I guess so it made me think about just how to be present uh, as a therapist so that our patients can feel comfortable doing that for us. You know what I mean? Uh, so anyway, that was, that was my um, metaphor, I guess, that kind of really uh, helped me see that, I guess, to your point about humanity. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just customer service. You're so right. And I've actually had similar thoughts. I mean, that's hilarious. It's just funny hearing you say that. But when I've gotten my haircut, I have had similar thoughts of that. How you yeah. are, it's, it's, it's kind of like you have your own preconceived notions as the client and kind of going into that. I know what you mean. That's fun. Yeah. For fun. sure. As far as like takeaways from PT school though, I mean, I think I brought this up before too, but it's just um, being willing to, you know, develop your own kind of taking away the principles and the key points of whatever it is that you're studying and being able to be flexible and apply those things in a non uh, rigid fashion, I suppose. And, being able to adapt, I guess, just adaptability. Uh, yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I would agree with every, everything you guys said, so I'm not going to say the same thing over, but just to add something, I guess, one thing that, um, one, uh, I guess a lesson that comes to mind or something I think about a lot is, you know, just taking ownership for my own, and it's kind of comes down to what you're saying, Sean, about being okay with uncertainty, but, and also like, and I'm not a perfect example of this. I'm just trying to say more self-aware about it is you, you do have to take ownership for your own learning, um, which is rough. Cause you know, even like right now with my caseload, that's very diverse in some populations that I've never worked with or just individuals with, you know, certain medical issues or equipment and just, there's a, there's a, like, there's a lot that I need to learn. And I suppose that it's really, you know, after PT school, it's not over by any means. There's, there's so much to experience and learn. And it's really for me trying to figure out a plan for myself where I can continue that. Obviously in, in school, it's, it's kind of easy to do that because the whole purpose, I mean, you know, you're with it. You have constraints because you're really studying for this certain test when you might want to be learning about X, Y, or Z. But now that I'm out, I just, I don't want to let myself slack off. Like I want to continue to learn and, and take responsibility for my own learning. Like Sean, I've, I've really appreciated like what you've been doing is kind of having like an action plan for yourself to post article reviews on your Instagram. Like I think that's, that's really cool that you're taking the initiative to, continue your reading so I don't know if that's a lesson or more of a goal of mine right now but it's just what it's something I've reflected on is figuring out a way for continual self-improvement as a physical therapist and 
I think I've always been a little bit afraid of settling and just kind of slacking off. So, and obviously I think that having that fear of slacking off will probably make me not slack off, but it's just one thing that is on my mind often is continuing to just improve as a therapist. And that, I mean, that's more than just learning about trait care or something. That's something that's coming to mind right now. It's about like what you're saying, Sean is learning how to be a better human. It's, it's a lot of different things. So just, just taking ownership for continuing to progress. I do, I do have a question about that. Um, do you find that, well, let me, let me give my perspective first so I can kind of frame the question, but at times I've kind of found it overwhelming yeah. in terms of like all the topics that I want to look at and, and kind of directing effort towards one topic. I wondered, do you, do you feel like the education and kind of the, the self-learning that you do is maybe more directed to the patients that you're seeing? And does that kind of like narrow down the, the topic items that you, that you want to look at or that you think you need to look at versus like not have anything to focus on? You've got all this stuff that you could look at. Yeah, that's a good, good perspective. And I, I think you're right. It's, it'll, it's probably better for me to look at it that way because it can be overwhelming. You have all of these things that you want to look at or you see something on social media and you're like, oh, that's an interesting topic. That person knows a lot, seems to know a lot about that. I want to know about that. But I think, yeah, that's a good point is sort of, I don't want to be the be the reason a patient doesn't get what they need or doesn't get the care they need because I didn't know something about what they have going on. So I think that's a great way to, to limit and limit it down. Maybe I'll keep a list of topics or something like that. That would be a good idea kind of just as I go. So, but yes, that is a motivating factor for sure. And I guess the kind of the last thing that we had here on the notes um, I, from PT school, did you, is there any, I guess, best advice that either you've received or any advice that you would want to give to current students or incoming students? So for me, I feel like I've been on this theme of like breaking down the principles of things and focusing kind of like Jonathan was saying uh, way back in their conversation about um, kind of following your intuition in a sense. I feel like uh, PT school, if I had have had that approach initially with PT school and viewing things, you know, let's say when you're in a practical, for example, rather than just trying to memorize things by rote and remember them, really engage with what you're seeing, what you're um, noticing in the case. And obviously it's a little more difficult in a simulated setting like a practical, but as much as you can think about things based on their principles and perhaps um, you know, think about why something might be rather than just memorizing a fact. I think that goes so much further towards really not only helping the information stick, but making it meaningful in a way that is useful um, for working with a patient or, or in a clinical setting. Absolutely, yeah. One thing that I think a piece of advice I would give, or maybe even just give myself, is that, you know, the endeavor of PT school, like when you're getting started, or like whether it's that first clinical, or there's always something, right? Like your first exam, it can, like, there's a lot of, I think, anxiety that can come around it, or just fear, or something you've never done before. It's a, it's a new thing. And I think that I don't know. I mean, maybe that's like cheesy as heck to say, but like, you're going to be all right. You just got to take it day by day and, and just try, you know, put yourself out there at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's never going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. You're going to work through the challenges. I don't know if that's, I mean, it's very cheesy. Like you can, you can apply that to anything in life, but I think it's, it's particularly relevant in, in PT school because there's a, there's a lot of stress that can come with it. Some fear, just it's a new thing, something that, you know, as a, when you're shadowing, it's not the same thing as when you're a student and kind of learning and having to do stuff for the first time. So I don't know, be, be okay with the uncertainty, like Sean's saying, give stuff a try and you'll be okay. <laughs> you'll feel better after you do it. So I don't know. I think you realize too on clinical rotations that like, as much as you're trying to figure things out, so is your CI and so is every other clinician in that building. <laughs> no one, no one has all the answers in any stretch of the imagination. And 
I, I realized that definitely on my, on my third clinical, because I, I feel like I was regarded more as a peer rather than a student in that rotation. And I think there was a bit more of opening up between the other pr practicing clinicians and myself. And I was like, Oh, you, you don't know either. Cool. All right. I don't feel as bad now. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys almost feel like, I don't want to drag this out too long, but do you almost feel like that is uh, harder as a student to try to, or you feel like more pressure to actually try to know what you're talking about? 100%. Than if you were actually a 100%. Weirdly <laughs> enough, like we shouldn't know it all as a student. We shouldn't be like, you know what I mean? But you're like, yeah, I got to prove something. I got to like show that I actually understand whatever the heck I'm learning, you know? And you um, do. Like, I feel like that, you, I, I think we should always probably have, take the ownership for that, like I was talking about earlier, but at the same time, like, you know, you should, like you're, you're immersed in the information. You should know certain things that you might've forgotten from that's not relevant in clinical practice, but you know, when you're in school, it is your, that's your responsibility to some degree is to know some information that maybe is like, and not to have the bigger answers, like you we're, we're kind of alluding to about how to handle a typical patient, but I don't know, you, you, when you're a student, you, you kind of do have the responsibility of knowing some stuff that maybe isn't always super relevant, but I, you were kind of going, I could go two ways with it, but I think you, you know what I'm alluding to, not the big picture stuff, but some of the nitty gritty exam types things like, you know, mm -hmm. you got to know it for boards or exams or just part of being a student, I guess. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, th I think all of that's really good advice. The only thing I would tack onto that, um, this would be kind of, best advice that I've gotten, but also advice that I would give is just to, to talk a little bit less and to listen a little bit more. And I feel like that'll, that'll do you a whole lot of good in the long run. But along with that, also as intensive and time consuming as school can be like PT school, isn't the only thing life is about. So make time for other things as well. That's something I, I think if I went back and did PT school a little bit differently, I would probably spend a little bit less time worrying about school and doing other things. And the thing that kind of made me realize that was the realization that PT for just about every patient that comes in is really only an hour to an hour and 15 minutes out of their day. And they've got a whole 23 other hours and change where they're not doing PT. So there's, there's more things to life, I guess. Right. Yeah. Just, that's such a tough balance to strike because I think, you know, yeah. Wow. That is so true because, you know, it's so easy for like kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier about taking responsibility for my own learning and stuff along those lines. If I didn't too much of that, like you're saying is like, you know, you're, let's say you're only focusing on the clinical aspect and pursuing your career or whatever it is. I mean, that's work-life balance, right? I, I guess, but it is a tough thing to strike. I don't have the answers, but I think we're always working on that. For sure. And I, I feel like to some extent doing other things and, and doing stuff outside of PT makes you more human, which in effect makes you a better PT. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Just get a little better if you can every once in a while. It'll be all right. Yeah, just do stuff. I don't, I don't know. Just do stuff. Just do stuff. Okay, just 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 do stuff. Title of the episode, wrap it up. It's it's a summarize in three words. Just do stuff, you'll be okay. That's the sequel. You'll be okay. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely make that the title. Any any final and or parting thoughts, boys? It's been good to get back on here and chat with y'all. Not personally. I think that's perfect. It was good to chat with you guys as well. Definitely good to see you guys. No, definitely. Um, we gotta, we gotta stay in touch. We gotta get a schedule going. We gotta keep doing this. Yeah, I'm like wondering if you guys care to read about stroke or something like that. I feel like you probably wouldn't, but no, I'm down. Such a different patient population that I want to read on, but I know you guys might not want to necessarily. But we'll we'll see. We'll see. Look, I, I've still got boards to worry about. I'll I'll take anything I can get. All right. All right. I got 1% on my MacBook, so. All right, we'll call you here then. I might fade into the abyss and don't be that. Yeah, well, we'll see you again in six months. So. Yeah, there you go. Hey, you guys, have a good weekend. All right, appreciate it. See you guys. See you,
Thank you again for listening, and we hope you enjoy the discussion. We'd love to hear any comments, questions, or feedback that you have. We can be reached on Instagram at BTA Podcast or by our email, beyondtheabstract1 at gmail.com. Also, if the platform you listen to this episode on allows you to rate, go ahead and give us a review. It really helps us out. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you.